0: Welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Welcome to King's Church. Uh, we, If you've seen our logo, it's got the little K on it. It's going to come right here at some point, this little K logo. There it is. Uh, our plan at King's Church, our mission is to build big Christians by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, obviously, building big Christians. Uh, we've, we learned a lesson in church, in the history of church, especially in the last 20 years, we can build massive churches with anemic, dying, barely hanging on the vine Christians. And that's not working. Our culture is dying and going to hell. G- girls don't know if they're boys, and boys don't know if they're girls. And churches are trying to grow massive Christians that are cowards and weak. They don't, they, they don't want to even tell somebody else they're a Christian. Like, they're afraid to evangelize. So what we're doing here at King's Church is we're building big Christians. And, and we're murdering fear. Amen. I said it this morning. We're fear murderers here at this church. It's one of the reasons that we preach in the, out in the summer also all summer long. We were preaching in parks and subways because we murder fear at this church. Because the devil's greatest tool is for you to be afraid and live your life, small and tiny, afraid to tell somebody about Jesus, that their soul would be saved, that their eternal destiny would be changed. If the devil can get you to live in fear, you'll never be who you're called to be in Christ. Never. We have a church mostly full of scared people which is why when most churches uh, grow or get planted in a city, um, it's only like the hope of transfer growth or, or you die because people don't get saved anymore because Christians don't tell people about Jesus. They, I mean, they're not even Christians won't even tell a confused child. You're not actually a, you know, a cat. I'm not going to let you use a litter box in your school. Like Christians won't even do that most of the time, let alone tell somebody about Jesus except for not here. <laughs> Amen. We have a crazy church. We have a crazy lunatic church that meets out in the subway that goes to parks. We have courageous Christians at King's church and courage imbues courage to those around you. Like we're not courageous to be better than somewhere else. We're courageous because there's a world that's dying and to going to hell and they need Jesus desperately. And so building big Christians, murdering fear, doing this stuff. Amen? You know, the problem with it is that means I have to do it. And that's the problem. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again. Pastors don't lead their people in evangelism. Pastors are afraid to evangelize out in public on the streets. They're afraid to do it. And they don't lead their people. And so then they, their people don't do it. Because when you're a dad and you have kids like we have, three kids, you can say to your children all day long, you know, some kind of uh, anecdote, moral anecdote, but they will be exactly like you are. You can say everything you want to say to them. They will be like you. That's how they will become. and. Uh, You ever see somebody with a terrible dog you know dogs just going ballistic they can't control the dog and uh, you know i was at a restaurant with leon the other day and there was just like two ladies and they were in their early 40s and they had four dogs between them and they were obviously some kind of legally joined union of humans with their dog children and I just thought, what a, what, this is what the devil loves. He loves to destroy people's identities. He wants them to not have children, not have people that love them, not have family. And he wants them to be lonely dog people. <laughs> is it true? Do you know, like, the, the, the Muslims say this really bizarre thing. And I don't like to quote the Muslims, because, you know, they'll, they'll kill you if they can. Um, <laughs> that's, why, that's why Luther called them the scourge of God. Uh, They said, the end of the world will arrive when people start treating dogs like children. I'm like, oh, that's kind of like here. (laughs) Why am I talking about dogs? Ah, right. The dogs that are ballistic, when you look at, you can just know automatically, if you don't know this, I'm teaching you this lesson, that means their owners have no self-discipline at all. They have no control over their own life and so the, 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 the animal that they have is ballistic and has no control and is running everywhere and is a lunatic. That's because it's a reflection in a very rough approximation of its owner. And when you look at children, they are rough approximations of their parents, independent of what their parents say. How their parents behave is how they will come out. And so that's why God, when he talks about judging the church, he starts with talking about judging the pastors. Because the pastors are cowards. And I have been a coward. Not intentionally, because we don't usually intentionally act bad. It's usually unintentionally we're acting bad. We usually have really great motivations. Um, Intention really doesn't matter, though. Uh, 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 You know, Hitler thought he was doing Germany a, a huge favor by murdering millions of Jews. Intentions don't matter. Actions matter. And in action, the Bible commands us to evangelize and reach the lost because they're going to hell. And if you're not doing that because your intentions are great because you're a great manager and none of your people preach the gospel and none of the people care about the lost, it's the father's fault. And which is why the Bible says it's don't, don't like watch your desire to be a leader in the house of God because you will be judged far more harshly. Because if the church is failing and the country's failing, guess whose fault it's going to be? It's going to be your fault. It's going to be on your head. That's whose fault it's going to be. But guess what? Um, I know that, and I'm being courageous, and I'm leading you guys all courageously, and then you guys are all being courageous, and it's it's like a flywheel. It's getting stronger. It's incredible, and so we're going to continue to crank. We have a, one of our small groups is. Street Preaching Evangelism Small Group, where we'll be in the subway every week. We'll be preaching the gospel every week. Get crazy. Come out with us. You don't Listen, you have to be faithful with the seed that God gave you. You don't have to do everything. If you can just come out and pray, awesome start. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Great. Thank you so much. If you're ready to come out and crank it up and preach the gospel and get on the mic, great. Fantastic. You don't have to start with hitting home runs. Just... Just put the outfit on and show up to practice. That's all you have to do. You don't even have to do more than that. That alone is courageous. That alone God looks down on and says, well done, good and faithful servant. I didn't ask you to do all of it. Just take one step. Amazing. He'll take the rest. Amen? That's it. Go home. Nah, just kidding. I have a whole message. (laughs) Let's Let's get into it. Genesis 37.5, I, I actually read through this portion of Acts 7.9 and it's the portion where Stephen is preaching the gospel you know, in public to the Jews and they're about to kill him. They're about to stone him to death and he shares this story of Joseph and he talks about the patriarchs being jealous of Joseph and he's saying to the Pharisees, you were jealous of Jesus and that's the reason you killed him. He's, he's jabbing them a little bit, righteously, um, as related to their behavior, and it's repeated, this story is repeated all throughout the scripture here in Acts 7 and uh, in, in Psalm 105, and then Genesis 37 is the beginning of this story. I'm gonna read it to you. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream, guys. We were binding sheaves of grain all out in a field when suddenly, my sheaf, the sheaf I was binding, it stood upright, and the other sheaves of grain came around and bowed down to mine. It's, and it's funny because, like there's 11 of you. There are 11 sheaves. There's one of me. Isn't that great? Uh, his brother said to him. Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of the dream he had and what he said. And then he had another dream and he told his brothers, listen, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon. It's like, okay, dude, (laughs) listen, they hated you the last time you told them a dream. What are we doing? Like, (laughs) We're not learning. We need to be learning here. This time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were all bowing down to me. Yeah! <laughs> it's just crazy that he would say that. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? You know, dreams uh, are <laughs> not intentional. We all know that, right? So, I, I, A couple of months ago, I woke up swinging and I punched and Goldie still climbs in our bed every night, and, I, and sh- I just missed her by the grace of God. But I'm fighting a lot of people in my dreams, and sometimes I come out foot-punching or kicking, and I punch the pillow right next to her. At law, there's this idea um, about criminal culpability, and it's called mens rea and actus reus. And mens rea means that you have an evil intent. Actus reus is the, the actual wicked act, and if those two things are there, you can be fined criminally culpable for a crime. But if there's no mens rea, if there's no evil will, no intended will, you're not culpable. And it's so funny to me that God placed the dream inside of Joseph. He didn't create the dream on his own. You can't make yourself dream something. And his father rebukes him for something that God had planted inside of him. Will will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. God puts dreams inside of people. It's part of uh, what he does. It's, it's been a little bit over preached in the church, but um, I, I want to preach about it this morning because it's a part of the, it's part of the canon. It's a part of God's word. It's a part of uh, the paradigm of living a kingdom life, talking about dreams. I have a picture right here. Uh, 10 years ago, exactly, 10 years and maybe a couple of weeks ago, Bethany and I moved here. Look at how little these two children are of mine. Solly, I think, was four years old. Um, No. How old was he? They were alive, you can tell. Uh, (laughs) And we moved here, and this is Alex. He was going to be our worship leader in 2014. And... uh, we were we looked so happy because we were just at this pizza that was like the best pizza in New York competition, and that's what pizza does to our family. It brings us that much joy. And we got to New York City, and our my my pastor had been. We got the green light. We had all these other miraculous green lights that that led us here. And you know, in my heart, I wanted to see God do something phenomenal through our church here in New York City. And I'm the kind of guy, when it's my birthday, I only want a motorcycle. Like, that's the only thing I want. I don't want a card, I don't want a cake. I want a motorcycle every single year. I have yet to get one, but I still want a motorcycle. Like a vintage, cool, 1964 BMW, side saddles, very cool guy. You know what I'm talking about, Peach? Am I right? I am right, yes. and. So when you have a dream from God, and that's the kind of heart you have inside of you, you're not just like, ah, I want like a mediocre church where a couple of people, you know, meet the Lord, and then we just kind of have small groups until we die. Just not the plan. I, and it's just in my, in my heart, I was like, we're going to go to New York City, and we're going to plant a church. I have a, I have a dream board. It sounds weird. It's a little bit girly, but it's okay. I'm large. It's okay. <laughs> and in the dream board... <laughs> that I have in my room that I look at every single day. Then the the first thing, and this is before we planted King's Church, the first thing says, sit with kings on it. And the second thing, it says, blaze a trail of righteousness in America. Uh, That we would see people turn back to the God of their fathers that we would see a nation turn back to God, that we would blaze a trail of righteousness. Not, not churchness. We don't need, churchness is not gonna save the nation, FYI. Like, we've been doing it, and it's not done a thing. It's actually probably accelerated the decline. But righteousness will, will exalt a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness, the scripture says, exalts a nation. And I want to see United, the United States, I want to see my people, I want to see my city exalted. It's, it's not being exalted right now, it's in decline. And so we have this dream, we're gonna impact not just the city, we're gonna plant churches around the world and we're going to, God's gonna give me a seat to sit with national leaders and presidents and senators and all of this kind of stuff and I'm gonna be a voice that stands for righteousness, 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 not coolness, not trendiness, not great speaking, righteousness. So righteousness brings blessings to people, it heals land, it, it, it fixes things. It's another, this is something that drives me insane. We're just like, I just need to have faith. No, you also need to walk in righteousness as well. Your faith is not real faith if you're not walking in righteousness. It's fake faith. It's pretend faith. It's sold by hucksters that are trying to drive for their own selfish ambition. Real faith comes with righteousness. Amen, pastor. Gosh, I love you, pastor. Wow. (laughs) Where's that other picture? Where's that picture number one? That, 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 that There it is. Look at this one. That's a little better. Because you can see how small Solomon is in that picture. And you have this, you know, just, just coming with a dream. Psalm 105, 16 through 20. And this is David in the Psalms repeating this story, and it's this poetic declaration of the story, it's phenomenal. Because in the Psalms, sometimes you'll, you'll see by song a history lesson, but it's in this incredible meter and rhyme and poetry, and you see what God does in his people, and David's declaring this story, and he says this in verse 16, by the Spirit of God, he says, and he called a famine upon the land. And he broke in pieces all the support of bread. Who did that? God did. God called a famine on the land of Egypt. He broke into pieces their support structures for bread. Verse 17, and he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold for a slave. And we just read the backstory. We know this young man who's filled with this God dream. Massive. Stars, moon, moon sun massive. The the implication of that picture is as high as you can see, as far as you can reach, beyond your ability. That's the implication of that. And here's this kid with a dream, and it says, and he sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold for a slave. And they humbled his feet in fetters. And the iron pierced his soul. This version is the NIV. This Dewey Rhymes version is what I'm reading from, and it's a translation from the Latin Vulgate to English in about 1523. And um, the Hebrew has some of this symbolism or some of this imagery in the language itself. And so in, in 18, it says, they humbled his feet and the iron pierced his soul. And I just think that is such an incredible picture of somebody that has a God-implanted dream and the harsh, cold, heartless, callous pain of this life comes crashing down on you. And it's part of the plan of God. It's part of the plan of God. You see, the shallow, attractional church will say only there's only prosperity and promise and blessing and good things and vision. And then the cynical, intellectual, spiritless church will say there's only pain and suffering until you die, and then maybe heaven, it gets better. Let's read Jeremiah 29, 11. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. (laughs) The dreams you, because these are these false dreams that other people encourage you to have. There's the God dream and then there's the false dream. They are prophesying lies to you in my name and I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord said. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my promise and bring you back. God says, for 70 years, you're going to be in pain. You're going to be enslaved by Babylon. That's what's gonna happen to you. It's part of my plan because you've been wicked. You're gonna be enslaved. Verse 11, the verse that you all know, that you've all heard before. Oh, let's, let's go back yeah yeah yeah. let's go at 11 for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope in the future verse 10 says this is what the Lord says when the 70 years are completed I will come and fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place then it says for I know the plans I have for you plans to prosper you and not to harm you this is the Joseph dream that he has it's about the prosperity and goodness and beauty of God he doesn't recognize that it goes through the grinding of the iron he doesn't understand that the dream goes through pain and it's intended to by God and he walks through this and he's in the prison and it says it was like the iron fetters that he wore, it was like the iron pierced his very soul. And perhaps you've been in that place before. And perhaps you felt like God's given you something to hold on to, a promise to hold on to. And maybe it's a little bit amorphous because dreams come in an amorphous way. I mean, it's, Joseph doesn't actually turn into a star and go into outer space. It's an allegory. It's an image. You get an approximation. You don't get the exact details. There's an impulse. There's a feeling. There's a call of God in the night. And then there's that time in the darkness. And this is what Jesus goes through as well. And this is the salvific picture that we see in the life of Joseph Jesus, who is rejected by his brothers. Who is hated by them, who is given over to death itself, even when Joseph goes into captivity, the picture of Jesus going to death. But Psalm 105, again, in this Dewey Rhymes version, really expands on that. It said, They humbled his feet in fetters, just like Jesus' feet were pierced for us. And it says, and the iron pierced his soul. Well, did you know that the Roman spear, the tip of the spear was actually iron? So when Jesus' side was pierced, it would be like his soul being pierced. The ancients didn't believe that your soul existed up here in your mind our world is so intellectually oriented we believe that the seat of our being is up here the ancients believed that the soul was here the seat of your being was in your stomach that feeling you get when you walk into a place and you know you shouldn't be there your soul reacts to it the ancients believed that was the seat of the soul and when jesus was pierced into the side it was an exact fulfillment of this prophecy iron piercing his soul But Jesus was not pierced for nothing. The iron didn't come because God likes to bring people pain. Jesus went through the pain and the turmoil and the darkness, not because he was just being an obedient guy, but also for the joy set before him, for the promise, for the dream. Hebrews 12 two, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And here is the payoff and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Payoff. So we came here in 2014 and we had so many real miraculous things that God did, and I don't have time to tell you them this morning, that I just assumed Bethany and I and the little kids that we had and Alex, our worship leader, just going to start meeting people, plant an awesome church, rock and roll, no problemo. New York is tough. It's a hard city. And I started my law firm and within, you know, 3 months we were completely out of money because it costs a million dollars and a liver to get an apartment here in the city. We were out of money. Um I ha- I think I had one or two clients in my first 3 months, <laughs> maybe two. And um I had no idea how to run a business. I mean, I was, a, I was a youth pastor and then I went to law school and then I showed up and I'm going to plant a church and I'm going to, you know, have this great business. And even like youth pastors don't actually know how to run churches. I don't know if you know that. Like they know how to preach and tell jokes, and wear jeans that are too tight. That's all. <laughs> and the winter came and it was cold brutal new york city winter and it was january such a dark month one of the darkest months of my whole life if probably in fact the darkest and i was walking i walked through the city and i hear this voice in my head say "Uh, it will be so much better for your family if you kill yourself i mean i felt so depressed i was it was so dark And the voice was so rational and reasonable. Some people that don't understand this, they just think like, oh, just buck up, buddy. Like, you're trying to survive. You're trying to follow the dream of God. And it's incredibly hard. And you're putting your whole life and all of your family and you're plunging into debt. And not a single person is getting saved, let alone, you don't even know anybody. And you're in New York, which I've said is the loneliest city in the world. And... (laughs) you're out of money, you're trying to do all this stuff, and you just feel like an abject failure, the voice comes to give you a way of escape. It says, this can all be over. I remember the voice in my mind saying, David, you're, you're a terrible father. You know that. It would be so much better for your wife and your kids if you were dead and they could go live with your father-in-law, who's a minister. They would have a great family. They'd get to do sports. You're here in New York City. There's like... Um, the sympathy and logic of, of the suicidal voice is one of the greatest evils. You don't recognize how deceptive it is. And I remember, um, I remember walking down Fifth Avenue this one day, just the weight of hell, the lies of hell bombarding me. And I knew I was called by God for a moment. I just thought I just messed up one too many times. The devil wants to tell you you've messed up one too many times. And can I tell you something? If you're sitting here and you're breathing, that's not true. God's grace and mercy is still available to you here today. And uh, I heard a message, this message, preached in a different format, and I was on the subway, I was holding the subway bar, and I was weeping on the subway, this promise, that God would would plant a dream, a God dream in your heart, and it was just abject and utter failure. (laughs) And there are times that God wants his sons and daughters to go through that kind of pain because he's doing a work in them. There are times where it's just straight, sin is in the world, demonic attack. There's, There's that kind of stuff too. But there are times in the story of the believer where you expect the promise to come and it takes longer than you think. And you have to trust and hope and believe in God. And on February 12th, by the grace of God, which is my birthday, of 2015, the Lord spoke to me and came into my life in a really beautiful way. He ministered to me and he gave me hope and he told me that the promise was real and it changed everything. Actually, over the next six months, I reformed my business. I read, I read 50 books on business in the next six months period and then at the end of that period, I fasted and prayed and God gave me a case uh, with $50 million in controversy in front of the new, one of the New York appellate courts and I won against three massive law firms by myself because God's promises are real and he cares about you. (laughs) Verse 19 of Psalm 105, pain in the soul. And then it says this, this is the transition, until his word came, until the word of God came and changed everything. Because the pain, you don't know how long, first of all, you don't know how long it's going to last. Second of all, you don't know how long you can last. But then it says this, this is the salvific phrase, until his word came. And the word of the Lord inflamed him. And the king sent and released him, the ruler of the people, and set him at liberty, and made him the master of the house and ruler of all his possessions, that he might instruct princes as himself, and teach the ancients wisdom, and Israel and Jacob would be free. And so, 2014, you know, 15 things start getting better, and then three years later, we I felt like the Lord said it's time to start a church, and we uh, started King's Church five years ago with about 30 people on our team. And uh, if you were on our initial team, I know Heidi and Stephen. If you were there our first day of King's Church, raise your hand. How many people were there our first day? There's only two of us, everyone else left? (laughs) There's other people that are here. Where's Maggie? Um, We had 30 people starting and it was, actually the first Sunday I think we had like 100 because people want to check you out and then they all leave. (laughs) So they're like, yeah, I don't like this. Definitely not for me. And then by January it was like down to 28 people. It was very brutal and then we started growing slowly. And uh, we had about 75, 80 people. And then in 20, that was 2020. And then the hellscape that was BLM plus COVID happened at the same time, and that was a hellscape. That was a demonically inspired movement. Both are both were demonically inspired, and riots are all over the city. People of God confused. People of God walking away from their faith. The fruit of that is incredibly evil, and I said it's evil. I said this is this whole thing is evil, and people got upset at me, and because they were listening to pastors that don't preach the Bible, and um, our church dropped down to about. Thirty people and I was like, "Okay, this is enough for me. It's time for me to be done now. I'm, it's time for me to become a fisherman. I'm getting a fishing vessel and I'm going out to sea now." <laughs> I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, "Just hold on. I have. I'm going to do some. I'm going to do all of the things that I said. All of the promises that I said to you. They're all going to come come to pass. Every single one of them." And I'm like, oh, "Man, how long is this going to take? When I'm 90, <laughs> Lord?" And uh, my friend Erica was, at the time, was uh, dating this guy named Charlie Kirk. And Charlie has a national um, organization with thousands of chapters and hundreds of thousands of students and a very large national radio show. I think it's like the number three podcast in America on political stuff. And Erica said, hey, there's this guy, David Englehart, and he's like dealing with the BLM thing really well. He has this thing in Galatians and he's teaching people about it. It's really good. She didn't say everyone was leaving my church, but <laughs> she left that out, thankfully. So I get a call. He doesn't want to do it. He actually doesn't want to do it because he's like, nobody's heard of that guy. Who cares? Nobody knows him. And she keeps pushing him. And so on the show liner notes, he won't even write my name. It just says, favor for Erica. It's supposed to say David Englehart. It says, favor for Erica on the show notes. So I go on the show, and I do 30, 40 minutes on Galatians and racism and unity and unity in Christ and forgiveness and all of the stuff. Um, and I get off the show and he says, uh, on, a, on a later phone call later that day, he says, you're brilliant. Please come and speak with me everywhere I go. And I'm like, great. He must say that to people. That's like a weird thing to say. Uh, and then I realized he didn't say that to me and then he started inviting me to events around the country. And within, a, within like two months, I spoke to a one to two million people um, on different stages and podcasts and radio shows, and um, the Lord started doing this incredible work where He started, our church started growing. Um, the message that the Lord gave me was getting traction, it was theologically sound, it was timely. And then we started like running with all of these national pastors that are on the right track, started being in rooms with congressmen and then senators and then I even met the president of the United States of America a couple of years ago and the Lord continues to open these kind of doors I'm on the news and I'm on all these kind of things regularly the promise of God beginning to be fulfilled and um, God places vision inside of the hearts of his sons and daughters and then because he loves them he grinds them And if you don't get ground, it's really dangerous because you get proud and you think the vision is about you and it has nothing to do with you. So it's about you because you get to play a part in it, but it's always for the people of God. The right vision, the right dream is always for God's people and not for you. And that's what happens with Joseph. He has this massive, incredible dream. God grinds him, and then God begins to lift him up in the nation. He makes him ruler over all the people of Egypt, and Joseph saves the whole world. He saves the entire. He he saves the known world, Egypt and the surrounding places that took of their grain, not just the Christians. He saved the nation. We uh, had been saying as a church, in part, just because it sounded cool. Um, We've been saying this big Christians thing. It, it, it's kind of our brand, this little K. We're kings and priests with God. Revelation chapter one, verse five. And uh, it's just been a phrase we've been using. And it's true. But we attached to that phrase. We said, we're, we're not building. We're building big Christians, not big churches. And, and there's something cool about that phrase. Um, but we need lots of big Christians. We don't need one or two big Christians. That's not what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. Jesus left, and he said, you guys do it. I'm empowering you with my spirit. Turn the world upside down. And they believed him, and they did it. He didn't say, oh, yes, by the way, I'm going to stay here. I want you to make a hierarchical papal model where the most important, holiest, best guy is on the top and wears special outfits. You can't ever talk to him. That's that's the inversion of Christ's model. Christ's model is, you guys, the ones filled with the vision of God, the word of God, the life of the spirit, blaze a trail of righteousness. And so I wrote this uh, this morning as I was preparing my, uh, my message. And worship team, you can come up as I'm uh, winding down. It's, I, I wrote this, I am unsatisfied with playing the dreamless brother. New York City needs Jesus. And we, King's Church, are called to impact our city and this entire nation. That's the reason Charleston is launching on October 8th. That's the reason why, why Tulsa will launch and be an, uh, be an amazing community. We are no longer using the phrase big Christians, not big churches. We are going to impact the nation. We are going to have a church that is full and overflowing with big Christians, sent out to every corner of the globe to establish the city of God. We are not retreating. We are not looking to the sky waiting for Christ's return. We are taking over. We are going to believe in the dream deposited by the hand of God. We are called to be kings. We are called to rule. Stand up with me, church. Psalm 105, 19, it says this, until his word came, and the word of the Lord inflamed him. And the word of the Lord inflamed him. Not the idea of man, not the strategy of church growth, the word of the Lord inflamed him. And it changed the season. It opened the curtains it brought Joseph from night to day from prison to palace the word of the Lord inflamed him and we will no longer play the dreamless brother we will no longer wait idly by for the end of the world we will stand for Christ in our day, and our nation, and our age. We will see the law saved. We will see big Christians built. We will go to government. We will go to art. We will establish the city of God in our day, and our age, by the word of God, by the way of God, by the plan of God, by the blood of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we will not be ashamed. Amen, church? Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's podcast. Acts twenty twenty seven says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole counsel of God. And that's something that we're trying to do at King's Church. We're trying to steward God's word and share it to a generation. If you want to partner in us sharing the whole counsel of God's truth, please text... NYC to 77977, and partner with us here at King's Church to get God's message, his whole counsel, all over the place on podcasts and on radio and around the world. So believers like you would be encouraged. Thanks.